Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Well, if you've been paying attention to things coming from Russia, and seems like there's more and more reason to do that these days, uh, you may know that earlier uh, in 2016, uh, Russia passed new restrictions on religious freedom. And so we're going to check in and see what's been happening with religious freedom in Russia. Our guest today uh, serves as one of the commissioners on the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. Clifford May, welcome to Freedom's Ring. Alan, it's very good to be with you. And it's a, a delight to get acquainted and to find out that we have a genuine, you know, Russian expert here, um, given your, your background. Um, well, I'm not, I'm not but I, w I was a Soviet expert way back when there was a Soviet Union. Little did I even suspect back in those days that there would be no Soviet Union right? in the years to come. The, they would, the collapse of the Soviet Union was nothing my professors had taught me to expect in school, nothing I saw as likely, which tells you how unpredictable the world can be. And Russia is a different place, but, and this is sort of, I think, where, where you're going with this, there are some continuities, and not all of them are, are fortunate continuities, and, and and one of them has to do with the suppression of religious freedom, both in the communist era and, and frankly, now in the post-communist era. You know, I'm going to indulge the temptation, Clifford, to, to tell a little bit of a joke. But at the <laughs> bicentennial of the American Constitution, uh, a journalist was interviewing a Russian. Uh, what he thought, asked him the question, what he thought about America. And the Russian said, in the Soviet Union, we have freedom to speak. In the United States, we have freedom after we speak. <laughs> I've heard a lot of jokes like that. The other one is, in America, we are free. I can say, and this is going back, Nixon is a pig. He says, in Russia, we are free too. I can say Nixon is a pig. Yeah, I, I, I've heard variations <laughs> on that one, too. Carter, Jimmy Carter is an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, right, so right, you can exactly. stand outside the Kremlin and say Jimmy Carter is an idiot. Yeah. All right. So, you know, religious freedom in Russia, what is the, the status now of, of, I mean, obviously the Orthodox Church is the, um, the dominant community, but you have um, areas with large Muslim populations. You certainly have uh, very established Protestant communities in Russia. What, um, what is the status of these other communities? Well, I think, the, look, I, I think there's no question that the government favors the Orthodox Church. It's probably, if the memory serves, about 80% of the population with various minorities. Uh, Muslims, probably around 7%, and then the Christian, various Protestant minorities, small number of Jews. It's not quite clear if it's 150,000 or 750,000, some very different estimates as you look. But the uh, the Orthodox Church is, is is favored, and all the others are disfavored. And and as you referred, uh, or mentioned, or indicated, most recently, uh, President Vladimir Putin signed a, a package of laws. Did this back over the summer? Uh, that's probably as repressive as anything we've seen since the Soviet era in terms of religious freedom, in terms of religious belief. Um, it includes measures that are particularly harsh on evangelical Christians that make it a crime to engage in, in religious activities, preaching, teaching, publishing, 
in Russia, except at government-approved sites. It's been particularly hard on Jehovah's Witnesses uh, who want to simply distribute their literature in a peaceful way and let people decide for themselves if it's persuasive to them or not. There's nothing extremist about that. It targets missionary activities. Um, and also, you also have it banning uh, even discussion of, of such things as uh, refusal on religious grounds of medical assistance. And, of course, that would appear to target Christian scientists and Jehovah's Witnesses due to their views on those issues. And I would just say that this follows other laws along those lines that we've had. In 2012, we had a law that requires any foreign-funded, non-governmental organization, NGO, uh, to register as a foreign agent, or you can, or, or you could face fines or, or imprisonment. You had in, uh, uh, in 2013 a blasphemy law. Uh, criminalizing disrespect or insulting religious beliefs. Uh, you had in uh, 2015 amendments to the religious law that appear to require all religious communities that don't have legal status to notify the state of their existence and give them all sorts of information, also seen as a way of, of suppressing their religious freedom. So there's, there's quite a bit right now that, that, that stifles religious freedom in a way that I think people like me thought wouldn't happen in the post-Soviet era, but, but, but it has been. And, and just to be clear then, in terms of just the ability to, uh, to meet together in community, to study the Bible, or to pray, or study whatever other sacred text, and, and to have a worship service, um, is that also being restricted? Or is it just a more you know, proselytizing, inviting uh, others to come and share the faith, that sort of thing? as best we can tell, it, it, it sort of depends. I think people can are, do, are not interfered with what they do in their homes. Um, if you want to, say, uh, erect a mosque in, in Moscow, I think that's where you'll probably meet a lot of bureaucratic resistance to that. Um, I, I think it's more the proselytizing and the distribution of, of literature. Um, but it, uh, these laws aren't always enforced in a uniform fashion. There can be some capriciousness, some arbitrariness in, in terms of how they are utilized, depending on the, the religious group sure. and how that group is viewed and which authorities are in which part of the, of the country. And there are hefty fines associated with being charged with violation of the laws, right? That's right. There are hefty. There can be hefty fines, and there there can be jail sentences. We've seen some of that. Maybe not so, not quite as long. Um, as in some countries, we put this, we put Russia on, on tier two. Uh, the countries of most concern would be tier one. It, it, it is not a free country when it comes to religion. I'm not going to tell you it's the most oppressive in the world. The most oppressive of the world are places where people are being killed or uh, suicide bombed or, or otherwise being uh, lethally uh, punished for their for their beliefs and faith. So you mentioned the different tiers. Um, our listeners, some no doubt, are unfamiliar with the work of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom and how you monitor religious freedom around the world. Why don't you take a moment and, and explain how that works? Yeah, I mean, very briefly, the way it works is there are nine commissioners on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Each one of us is appointed either by the president or by one of the congressional leaders. It's a bipartisan uh, group. The nine commissioners are right now five Democrats and four Republicans. Uh, that will change next year. Um, Two-year term can be renewed. 
The next person who leaves the commission will be a Democrat. He'll be replaced by somebody appointed by President Trump. And then there's a staff, a professional staff. We're not paid. We're, we, we take the job and uh, pro bono. But there's a professional staff, and they do a, a lot of this research, um, compile a, a report every year that is similar to but not the same as a State Department report on religious freedom around the world. What we're supposed to monitor religious freedom and, and particularly come up with the countries and others that are more concerned. And, and then what we're supposed to do is re- make recommendations on policy in regard to religious freedom abroad. And we make those recommendations to the president and to the secretary of state and, and not least to Congress, um, since we're a congressionally sure. uh, established uh, agency. So, you know, in reflecting back, if memory serves, um, the commission was established by a law passed, sponsored by Frank Wolf in 1998. So we've had almost 20 years of the work of the commission. I know you're you're new to the commission, but um, to the extent that you have, um, you know, been briefed in on the history, I, what I'm wondering is whether the extent to which the recommendations of the commission have really been followed in terms of American policy, um, and whether that has changed and the commission's been more effective or more influential with uh, the Bush administration versus the Obama administration. You know, what's your sense of, of how much the religious freedom concerns identified by the commission have then been picked up by American policy? You know, it's a great question, Alan, and I'm not sure I'm qualified to to answer it because I'm not. I haven't been a student of the entire history. I've just tried to get up to snuff over the past few months on what we're focusing on, and out that I wish what I think we should be focusing on. And I hope I've changed the focus a little bit, and I'm happy to describe that to you in a second. Um, I think the, the commissioners who are now there are, are very intent. We actually we've commissioned a study to look kind of look at the question you're asking and see how effective the commission has been in the past and perhaps more importantly how the commission can be more effective in the in the future. Now every recommendation you make to the state department is not going to be accepted. There are countries we think are that that should be of great concern and for various reasons the president doesn't want to do that, the secretary of state doesn't want to do that. They have other negotiations religious questions and concerns about religious freedom as real as they may be and as important as they may be may not take precedence over everything else. And when it comes to legislation, I think you have to be fairly savvy and clever to come up with good legislative solutions or remedies or treatments for problems. You can also talk about sanctions, and that's something we're working on. Well, one of the things that I've that I've tried to do, and I've convinced, and I'm happy to say I've convinced the other commissioners that we should do, is we had within the past year both houses of Congress and this administration acknowledging, recognizing that genocide is taking place in the Middle East, right. genocide of Christians in the Middle East, right. of Yazidis, and some other religious minorities. And it seemed to me that that needed to be one of the main priorities of the of USERF, of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. It wasn't, and I, and I was pleasantly, I, it was it, I gratified that I was able to persuade uh, the, my fellow commissioners that, that we should undertake that, because nothing is as lethal or as final as the extermination of a religious community. You can suppress communities in places like Russia for years and lift the oppression over time, but if you exterminate them, if you have genocide, that's the end of it. Now, then the question arises, once you do that, what can you actually do? Right. How do you prioritize the victims of genocide? How can you save them? What policies? And that's a tougher question than one we're struggling with right now, I would say. 
Well, you know, I did a show, I believe, with Tina Ramirez of hardwiredglobal.org earlier in 2016 about the whole resolution on genocide, but I haven't done a follow-up show. And, you know, has has there been any concrete changes or policies or activities that have resulted from that genocide declaration? best of my knowledge, no. There are a couple of bills in Congress right now that would give serious priority to Christians and Yazidis, the victims of genocide, who want to come to America to, to escape genocide. And maybe they may go back and establish their religious communities, or maybe not, but it would put them at the front of the line. But it's been controversial. And those laws, I, the best of my knowledge, they are not likely to pass in this lame duck session of Congress. They will probably be reintroduced next year, but not before that. So I would say no. And if you look at what's going on in, in Syria and Iraq, you really can't see a lot that's been done as a result of that. Now, the, the, the Battle of Mosul has been going on for, gosh, probably over a month now. And a lot of Christians have been displaced by that because you're talking about the Nineveh Plains, which is, people may know. That, those are some of the oldest Christian uh, settlements in history. In the world, yeah. In the world. I, I think there will be some efforts to rebuild those communities. I do think that's a likely thing. Well, this is, uh, this is a fascinating discussion. Certainly, American policy... Um, I think you and I believe we should be advancing um, the principles of religious freedom around the world, but just how to do that is often very difficult. And as, as you pointed out, sometimes there are other priorities in our relations with some of these countries that take center stage. I, you know, One of the countries that comes to mind when you were discussing that is China. Um, but I guess, you know, my, my closing question has to be, uh, what are you expecting out of a new administration? Are you expecting more or less support for uh, the values of religious freedom globally? I don't know if I'm expecting anything. I would say I'm hopeful. We'll probably have a new uh, U.S. ambassador for religious freedom, and the commissioners will work very closely with him or her and, and hope to do something about what is really one of the most basic, maybe the most basic of human rights. Well, I suppose that's a an appropriate diplomatic wait-and-see <laughs> attitude. I can't fault you for that. Our guest, Clifford May, one of the commissioners on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, thank you very much for being with us, taking your time today. Thank you, Alan. As we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We offer legal services to those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. Freedom's Ring is now available on SoundCloud, so you can check us out on SoundCloud or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Till next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>